Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Today, we're looking at yet another composer whose works are far more well-known than his name. Yes, it's none other than Paul Ducas. His tone poem, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, has of course been popularized by the Disney Empire, both in the 1940 film Fantasia, as well as the 2010 film by the same name. Today, however, we're looking at a much lesser-known piece by Ducas, the theme, interlude, and finale on the theme of Rameau. But don't worry, we'll find just as much magic in this composition as we would in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Paul Ducas was born in 1865 in Paris, where he would spend his entire life. There's not much information about Ducas as a young man, however, his life history picks up when he began attending the Paris Conservatory. He was an excellent student, winning second prize in the Prix de Rome in 1888 with a cantata, and he also ran with the big dogs on the Paris scene. Even though he isn't considered an impressionist composer, he was good friends with Debussy as they were classmates at the conservatory. Ducas very much loved the romantic symphonic ideal that was Beethoven. This influence is probably why his music is not as classically French-sounding as the impressionists of the time. However, his biggest French role model was César Franck, who though he also loved the Beethovenian sound, was pivotal in establishing the French Romantic tradition. In the early 1900s, especially as his career was just getting off the ground, Ducas wrote several works, including our theme and variations we'll look at today, that were in the style of the older German Romantics. He was, however, more progressive with his harmonies than that of the German Romantics, and it seems that this at least is in part due to the French Impressionist influences that were all around him. That's quite alright though, because Ducas had a really wonderful voice for orchestration that shines through in his programmatic orchestral music. And at this point, we do encourage you to go listen to The Sorcerer's Apprentice without Disney's animation, so you can really appreciate all the intricacies of his orchestration. It is fascinating. And it's due to this high skill that Ducas held the job of Professor of Orchestration from 1910 to 1912 at the same Paris Conservatory, where he got his own education. He then took some time away from teaching, but in 1927 he made a grand comeback as Professor of Composition, a post he held until his death. To fill his time that wasn't taken up with composition, Ducas provided many other services to the musical community. He was a music critic, with his writing appearing in many Paris newspapers, and he also was a sort of historical editor as he helped the publishing house Durand assemble new printings of French Baroque compositions, thus helping save them for posterity. And despite working with the publisher Durand, Ducas himself published very few of his own works. Most of his compositions were left in unpublished manuscript form. Ducas was a bit of a perfectionist. Perhaps one reason we don't know so many of his works is because they no longer exist. For in 1935, just before his death, he purged a majority of his unpublished manuscripts, apparently believing they were not good enough. But it's lucky for us that he had gotten around to publishing the few works that he did, as he really was an artistic genius. He died in his beloved Paris in 1935. 
So now we will delve into this work, the variations interlude and finale on a theme of Rameau. This work was premiered in 1903, about 10 years after Ducat really gained his compositional footing after his graduation from the conservatory. It is, of course, based, as the title suggests, on a theme by Rameau, who was a French Baroque composer. So the theme that's used for this theme and variations was a piece by Rameau for harpsichord called Les Laudons, which translates into With Bacon apparently depicting the crunching and lip-smacking associated with eating that flavorful pork <laughs> treat. So the whole piece itself consists of theme, breakfast, eggs, <laughs> salt, pepper, 11 variations, an interlude and finale. <laughs> and we're going to leave out the breakfast and just go into the music section now. So the theme is actually the verbatim writing of Rameau, without any editing or ornamentation by Ducat. Apparently, Debussy didn't like this compositional strategy, saying he, quote, preferred Ducat without Rameau, meaning he wished the theme had been reworked a bit to better fit the rest of the piece stylistically. As you listen to the theme, listen for a repeated note that makes a leap of a fifth to help identify it as we go through the variations. While Ducat doesn't always use every part of this theme in the variations, these repeated notes show up more often than not and they help us latch on to what his thoughts were as he was working through each variation. And formally, this original piece by Rameau is a minuet and it is quite cute. The first variation is interesting because the theme isn't immediately apparent, because it starts with some pickup notes not present in the original theme. However, we soon hear the theme's repeated notes, though they are still somewhat hidden behind constantly moving sixteenth notes. In this variation, Ducat shows off his French harmonic style by using chromatic notes that add sweetness instead of dissonance to the piece. The next variation has quite an exciting start. It has powerful Liszt-style chords pounded out in the bass clef. suggested by the chords in the right hand remaining static on B minor in spite of the left hand chords taking a stepwise downward voyage. This variation, though the theme is a bit lost in the dramatic chords, still preserves the ending of the original theme. When Rameau wrote it, he ended on a unison tonic followed by a cascading arpeggio. Now, Ducat took this downward arpeggio and made it one better by having the left hand play an upward arpeggio as the right hand plays the downward arpeggio onto the final tonic.
The third variation focuses on chromatics once again, and instead of really playing the theme verbatim, sort of just follows its general topography. The main theme starts on tonic, takes a leap of fifth, and works its way back down to tonic. And we get that same up and back down action here in this variation, though the range is greatly expanded and the phrases are made longer. This variation is a great glimpse into the harmonic mind of Dukat. On a cursory listen, it just kind of sounds like the pianist is aimlessly wandering in harmony land without any clear harmonic destination. However, the key here is that Dukat loves sequences and chromatic notes. The harmony is really dictated by longer sustained notes in the extremities of the bass and treble, and the inner parts with the moving groups of triplets just flow around them in sequential ways to meet up with the next harmony. Next, the theme finally becomes clear for the first time in the fourth variation. Though still not exactly the repeated tonic with a leap of a fifth, we do get a distinct repeated tonic with some upward motion, telling us that we are still, in fact, listening to a variation on our cute Baroque minuet. Now, for the interest of time, we're going to group variations 5 and 6 together. Though done in slightly different ways, these two variations seem to be Dukas showing off his chorale writing skills. He has lovely voice leading, and has written at least four lines of music split between just the two hands of the pianist. Now we're on to variation 7. This variation again doesn't give us the original theme immediately at the beginning. However, the concept of the variation is little cells of melody placed over running 16th notes. Often when this technique is used in variations, a composer makes all of the cells the same and with the same general rhythm. Dukas, however, jazzes it up by varying the lengths of the note values used in each cell. For example, the first cell is just two eighth notes, the second is a group of four eighth notes, and the third is a group of syncopated quarter note eighth note groups that last for a few measures. The eighth variation is where Dukas' French flavor finally shines. It's composed of running 32nd notes arpeggios, but a special kind of arpeggio. Ooh. Rather than being a normal major or minor triad, Dukas has chosen to utilize a newer technique for the time of quartal quintal harmony. This means that each note in the arpeggio is a fourth or fifth away from the one below it, rather than being a third away, as a normal arpeggio would be. 
This is a technique that is usually associated with the Impressionist style and particularly Debussy's music. It sounds a lot like the tones used in Balinese gamelan music, which Debussy is credited with bringing to the Western world. And this harmonic style was even later embraced by 20th century composers such as Paul Hindemith and Alan Havanis. Since this is a newer sound than what we would normally hear in Western art music for the time, it does give Ducat's piece a more modern feel. The ninth variation is a stark contrast to the quartal quintal harmony of the eighth. It immediately starts out with pickup notes that are a cadence to tonic in the traditional triad-based harmony. Due to the modern sound we just heard, the sudden emphasis of triads in this variation make it sound like a much older style than it is. The 9-8 meter and this older sound are reminiscent of a Beethoven symphonic minuet, with the third movement of his Symphony No. 1 coming to mind. The tenth variation is a great opportunity to talk about Ducat's orchestration skills. And yes, this is just a piano piece, but the chord voicing and melody placement that he uses here could easily be applied to an analysis of his orchestral works as well. This variation starts with just the left hand playing the motif, 32nd notes with a dotted 8. Soon he has the right hand join, and then he adds a second voice into the right hand, and finally adds a fourth and even fifth voice in the form of held notes in the extreme treble and bass. Even though this seems like it would be a mess, we don't ever lose the sound of the motif, because Ducat makes sure that when the motif is being played, it is the most important thing happening just as he would do in an orchestra. Now, the 11th variation is very, very cool. It sounds modern by virtue of its repetitiveness, which evokes some minimalism. This, in part, comes from the theme having all of those repeated notes. In other variations, Ducat changed the harmony on purpose for each note, but this time he is embracing the stasis. And when he does change the harmony, it's subtle. This is because the fluttering chords in the background allow him to slowly change one note at a time chromatically until he reaches his goal several beats or even measures later. Eventually, he has the melody move to forceful octaves in the bass clef, and to further drive home the repetitiveness, he even repeats the melodic figure twice for each phrase. And Ducat again uses the quartal quintal harmony in this variation. This harmony, along with the small range and chromatic nature of the slow melody, give the piece a modern, mysterious, and powerful sound. And again, Ducat is ahead of his time. The music in this variation is very reminiscent of some modern melodic minimalists, like Philip Glass and Ludovicio Anuadi. This variation moves seamlessly into the interlude, which is really just a written-out cadenza.
This is fun, historically speaking, because a cadenza was a very popular thing starting in the classical era and really hitting new heights in the romantic era with the touring virtuosi composers like Liszt and Chopin. However, the fantasies of the Baroque era were also very similar to a cadenza. They were just a virtuosic technical bit of music with really no melodic value, but full of anticipation of hitting a tonic chord eventually. Finally, the interlude melds into the finale. The first bit of the finale is a prolonged examination of the end of the theme's first phrase. To remind you, that sounds like this, essentially a small downward leap of a third to a tonic. Now, Duka has extensive downward leaps of thirds, just hitting home that this is the end by repeatedly giving us the end of the phrase. There are also several instances where he writes many repeated notes, but they get mostly covered up by the moving eighth note action around them. Listen here to the top voice in this section to try to pick out a repeated B on quarter notes. Duca actually does finally bring us back the theme in all its glory, this time embellishing it with his own chords and harmonies like Debussy wanted. However, it's the most direct translation of the theme we have yet heard in the composition. This section is a bit like the development of a sonata form piece. We get to hear the theme in many different modulations, major and minor, and in sequence. was really good at writing finales. Right when we think we might be getting to the end, he comes back at us with a new and even more exciting buildup. And yet again. He gives us a very nice, pleasant French-sounding section with a pentatonic scale which is another Eastern harmonic sound related to the chordal quintal harmony. And this part is light and cheery. And this makes us think the piece is going to end on a quiet and peaceful note. But then he introduces yet another section. He has made a quick modulation from D major to B flat major, which is a leap of an unprecedented diminished fourth. And there's plenty of chromatics to go around. But finally, we make it back to D major, and in an almost cheeky way, he finally ends the whole piece with a nicely voiced 5 to 1 perfect authentic cadence. So this was a bit of a preliminary overview of this lost gem of a piece, but we hope that you now have a new appreciation for Dukas, seeing that he was a composer ahead of his time, full of great ideas that unfortunately is often thought of as a one-hit wonder. If you'd like to compare his music to the other composers we mentioned in the show, we have included some YouTube links in the episode description. And if you like this episode of The Coffee House and want to bring the joy of Duca to a friend, please share our episode and leave us reviews on iTunes and Google Play. You can follow us on Facebook as well for more updates. And for The Coffee House Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. 
Variations interlude and finale on a theme of Rameau was performed by Mehmet K. Akonsar. Please leave the coffeehouse a rating and review on iTunes or Google Play, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can like us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Thank you.